Welcome to another episode of the Reboot Chronicles, a no-holds-barred forum with global leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and CEOs about how organizations stay focused on growth and innovation in unprecedented times. I'm your host, Dean DeBias, coming to you live from Revive's North American headquarters in Chicago, and we would like to thank you for joining us from around the globe today. I'd like to welcome Zafrin O'Sullivan to the program today from the UK. She's a co-founder of Five Dot, a minimal ingredient skincare brand. Welcome. Hello. Hi there. Good to see you. You know, uh, it strikes me you're a CEO of a new indie brand. Uh, you're a lawyer uh, with BBC TV, so you kind of play a lawyer on TV, I guess I could say. You're a mother of three, and you're a beekeeper. How do you how do you juggle all that? I thought I had a busy day. <laughs> oh, it's, it's you know it's kind of fun. It's a bit crazy. Uh, my husband does all the childcare, so I'm busy with the bees and the business. Busy with the bees. There's a metaphor there. Uh, you're also involved in the Sephora Accelerate program. We'll talk about that. And you're um, you're founder of the uh, Female Founders in Beauty. What is that? Yeah, that's so. That was born uh, out of a, a failed application for the support up, um, uh, accelerate program a few years ago. I got uh, together all the women who had applied, and um, because I realised there was like a lot of founders like me who still wanted to network. And you know, you always apply for programs, but actually you're capable of having your own network yourself. So we just built it, and so we've got nearly two thousand women in our group from around the world discussing their business pain points. Oh, wow. I love that. Um, I'll put a link in the uh, podcast uh, once we write the article. So um, just tell me, why did why did you start uh, Five Dot? Well, you probably could have done many things at this point in your life. Uh, what's, tell us a little bit about the story. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't have a background in beauty. I'm a lawyer. Um, but yeah. I could see that there was a lot of changing, a change happening in terms of people's lifestyle. We we're looking for a lot of transparency in the food we ate. We we're thinking a lot about the cleaning products we use. We we're thinking about who made my clothes. But actually mm -hmm. in beauty, it was very difficult to navigate what's actually in my products. Um, and that was a very perplexing moment for me. Um, and I wanted to create something that was quite minimal and transparent because that's really how you offer people clarity and control about what they're putting on their skin. Most people in beauty will say, look, the inky list is a list of ingredients. What, how much more transparency do you really need? But actually people, unless you're a cosmetic chemist, how are you really going to understand what those ingredients are and what they do? So that was where it was born from uh, an idea. And we worked on it for, uh, a couple of years and we got a an amazing cosmetic formulator attached to the brand um who does all our formulation for us yeah yeah i bet you do so and why uh why five dot how'd you come up with that yeah so we always knew um that we only wanted five ingredients it was enough to be innovative but not so much that people couldn't understand it you can count it on one hand but what we had seen was a lot of brands over time dilute their brand proposition it's yep. very easy to do. Someone will go like, why don't you just launch a sunscreen with seven ingredients? Why don't you launch this with eight ingredients? And then before you know it, you're not core to what you originally planned to do with your business. So that if we enshrine five in the name of our brand, it's our North Star. We'll never move from it. That's what it stands for. That's what it is. That's what it is to the consumer. Um, it's easy to understand. Well, that could be challenging for the business model at some point, but um, I get it. I like it, especially with the trends that are going on. Um, I've seen other uh, personalized skincare brands launching with, they're saying like 30 ingredients. I'm not sure why that's a magic number either. What did strike me is just in a lot of categories, even food, just how when you really get down to minimalist brands, how how low you can go in terms of ingredients because you're not, you know, all the additives and the other things are gone, which is uh, which is interesting. 
But we'll jump into that in a sec. A little bit about the data. I'm sure you know we're witnessing a massive online spike in shopping. Uh, since March, a couple reports are it's up anywhere from 49 to 50%, which is pretty big. And the Revive Health and Beauty Index, which measures personalized skincare diagnostics and recommendation, the usage up on that platform through retailers and brands is up over 200% uh, globally. So what uh, what are you guys seeing? Yeah, so we're seeing, um, obviously, online has been really good for us. You know, people are, are not in store anymore. They're online. We're a primary online brand. So we're getting a lot of... Um, people that maybe hadn't been interested in us looking at our website getting a lot of engagement on socials so that was super important for us that we weren't in a selling mode at the start of covid you know we couldn't be there like hey buy our stuff we're actually there like saying hey how are you we're real people behind this brand but actually in terms of macro trends when we originally had the idea for the brand the concept of minimalist skincare just didn't exist we would have spent two years trying to educate the customer on what that really meant but mm -hmm. over time, what we're seeing is a radical shift in people's perception about transparency and everything. And so, you know, for sure, minimal ingredient skincare, this is here to stay and it's going to grow this year. Vegan skincare has been bubbling. Veganism has been bubbling for a long time. Everyone knows yep. it. You know, um, sure. that's that's not going anywhere. Um, halal beauty is another interesting area which we had um, set the business up for because we're seeing a lot of change in Asia around legislation for how cosmetics should be put onto the market and what their minimum criteria should be and can you tell me can you tell me what's different in that that formulaic yeah so where you know to be halal certified you need to mm -hmm. you know not have certain ingredients in it um from animals and it, it's not just about the ingredients list it's about um you know kind of an ethical supply chain halal kind of i guess encompasses uh, quite it. a lot of things um and some larger manufacturers find it very hard to get certified we haven't um i bet i we, bet um, and we kind of Asia is an interesting area for us. So I think it's a very nascent um, market, but I think it's going to get bigger over the next five to 10 years. Tell us about your price points. So you um, budget super premium right in the middle. What to, where are you guys? Yeah. So our price point is between, I guess, 26 pounds and our most expensive product at the moment is 38 pounds. So it's kind of, I think it's, ex it's quite expensive actually for, you yeah. know, yeah, for most people but we use very high quality ingredients our suppliers are mainly european um we pay everybody very very well and a way above any kind of living wage we believe this is the true cost of, of kind of putting beauty out there it's not necessarily huge huge margins that we're trying to pocket it's really a little bit like how where fast fashion has gone what is the true cost of your product um if you want to pay people well yeah, I mean, you're in the right space at the right time. I'm sure margins will come because they're they're pretty good in this uh, sector. So uh, it'll come with scale. Um, let's talk about scale. You know, where where are you selling this? You probably started out mostly in the UK and then branched out or what's going on globally? Yeah, so, so we launched in June 2019, primarily direct to consumer. We had um, our followers on social media and they were our first customers. They were our first 600 people on our email list that we sold to. UK and Ireland, we're seeing some steady sales coming out of Ireland and we've never really marketed outside of the UK and Ireland, but we've had mm -hmm. a few, uh, the territories we're notably, notably getting orders from places like Germany, uh, where I think clean and natural is quite interesting to people. Um, we, we would like to scale outside of the UK and Ireland, but what was really key for us is to show, you know, 
a low fan following, repeat customers, great experience. We're British. We want to be a British success story. And right. for us to be successful in our home market was super important before we tried to go global. Yeah, makes sense. And then what about, uh, you know, people like Credo and uh, Sephora and Ulta? And are you are you able to get into channel yet? Or are you still kind of taking the, uh, you know, the alternative routes, if you will, social media, no, influencers, do. things like that? Yeah, we definitely have our eye on those retailers for sure. And I think if we want to go into the US, for example, we'll definitely need to raise more money because of the huge cost of just scaling or distribution and manufacturing. Mm -hmm. But for us, I think it's really important that we can show those retailers, um, you know, that we're successful ourselves online and that we've got a community that other brands don't have. It's very difficult for multinationals to build that genuine connection with a founder or an indie brand where they feel that they're backing people, not just a business. Um, and I, I would like to be entering discussions with Sephora or Credo, you know, with a much stronger card of, you know, playing hand because I want them to not me be begging. I want them to be going, this is great. We can see that you've been really successful and people rave about you. And I think that's much more important to do All before right. you enter negotiation. Let the record show the negotiation started here. Um, <laughs> so it brings up another different question I was going to ask, but um, let's just go on that thread for a while. Why is it a good time for indie brands? You're seeing so many, especially um, women and minority found companies that are uh, doing indie brands in everything from food to cosmetics to, you know, health, healthy products. Let's just call that category. What, uh, what are your thoughts there? What's going on? Yeah, I think that we are it's linked to a number of things really one i think that people buy from people and so this founder-led connection is very powerful it's a powerful tool in terms of trust because that's what we're really facing consumers have a, a lot of doubt about the brands that they're using do i trust you but they trust people behind it so independence is really important i think also you're living in the age of storytelling so we now consume tons of content. We're not buying brands. We're buying stories behind the brands. And they stand for something bigger um, right. than the product itself. And people like me or other founders are able to tell those stories much more powerfully and much more magnetically um, for the consumers. Uh, and they are drawn into a community or a tribe that resonates with them. And I think that that, that doesn't go away, I don't right. think. Um, but I think mm -hmm. funding is a challenge for indie brands. So whether they survive or can scale is a whole other thing. Yeah, that's that's all. That's that's normal stuff. That's the the circle of life, as they say in The Lion King. It's um, not every brand's going to make it, and that's that's really part of the the, the model. Um, but go back to storytelling. How do you get your story out? Is it like you talking like you do now? Is it written on the website? Is it through the social media uh, influencers? Yeah, so uh, to date, and I think the storytelling is going to change as we grow and we've, you know, since getting investment, there's other ways that we can do it. Our sure. primary way of storytelling was online through our social media channels. It was literally like, this is our product. It it turned out rubbish. We need to go back. This is our this is us going crazy in the in the in a print factory because our labels are actually being printed. Isn't this amazing, guys? And people are like we love printing presses, you know, because they don't, they didn't they didn't really care that's about definitely like a niche. I... that's a niche audience for sure. Yeah, but you know, like people, uh, our audience aren't beauty geeks. They're not reading the beauty press. Uh, they're not uh, reading and uh, they're not obsessing over their skin. They care right. about. A lifestyle choice they care about good design they care about transparency they're not they don't care about like oh my god what's the four mattifying things i need for my face they want healthy skin but 
they're interested in design, they're interested in architecture. And so we were able to talk about a whole ton of stories not related to beauty. Our best post, our best blog on our website is an article about why we love Morse code. Our branding is all about Morse code. Yeah. For a beauty skincare brand, the best blog was why we love Morse code. There's yep. people are like, thank God you're not telling us about like another article about X. You know, it's actually like stuff that's different. Um, and so and that's, uh, that's why I thought you came up with five dot, not five ingredients, but it was dots, dots and dashes. Uh, going dots back and to, dashes. Yeah, yeah. It, the name came first, and the Morse coding came later, actually. Yeah. Someone. Uh, so um, so how is that going? How is the um. The, uh, the whole scale part of this going for you. For instance, um, you're part of the um, Sephora Accelerate 2020 program, which is a great program. Right now you're supposed to be in San Francisco along with a lot of friends of mine that are you know, in different types of accelerator programs out there across every industry from food to cosmetics to healthcare. And, and so you're not there, I understand that, but um, how's Sephora helping you? Yeah, they've been fantastic actually because there's two prongs to it when you apply to this is the personal journey you're going on as a founder um mm -hmm. for me as a female founder from a non-beauty background i really wanted to feel that i had a foot into the beauty industry so on a personal level it's about encouragement growing your profile feeling confident that you could be a leader of a of a brand that's going to grow but secondly they also understand that indie brands there's a lot of behind the scenes that they haven't you know fixed whether that's how to scale adequately how to get your next tranche of funding how to really tighten your brand up for you know kind of consumer appeal whether it's on shelf in store or whether it's online um, and so they're constantly pushing you to challenge um, everything that you put into the into your product but equally um one of the biggest things that I, you sort of don't realize when you're first starting out with a business is how important building a strong network of other individuals, like-minded individuals with a vision to grow a brand is. So just having more, more people in your networks that are entrepreneurs in this space is fantastic. So um, they're kind of like, I guess, three ways that Sephora is really helping us. Yeah, that's good. Um, that's, I mean, it's one of the most important things is how do I run a program called Dancing with Startups. Um, we do a lot of this at uh, Kellogg in uh, Chicago, Kellogg School of Management. And um, bringing startups and major corporations together is always an interesting dance and how it gets, you know, put together. And, you know, having the right connections is obviously helpful. But once you get that agreement going, um, that can be the key to for a lot of these indie brands to scale. Any, um any tips on how um, those that weren't as lucky to get into an accelerator program might approach that? Um, scaling or creating a network? Uh, partnering with large corporations, scaling, right? Yeah, all, all I think the, that, all the above. Yeah, I think the best bits of advice we've ever been given have been from people who've done it. So actually, it's critical. It's not about speaking to consultants. It's not about business books. Actually, speaking to other founders that have done it. So the other day, I was yep. talking to one of the founders that had just got into Sephora, and it was like, you know, how much money did you need? How much was your? How big was your actual first order? How many territories did you go in? Um, right. And you know, did you forego another retailer in order to get go exclusive with Sephora? Was that difficult? they're so practical those questions no book or consulting really help you navigate it but when someone goes yeah it was a 10,000 unit unit order it was for seven territories they didn't reorder again they put another order in I over you know over manufactured my cash flow then sucked um I had to close an office down that's the kind of on the ground stuff that is super important so I I would I would say under you know having but then equally you have to be 
able to share candid information about your business with somebody else because otherwise you can't just be sucking information from other people you need to be prepared to sh share your pain with someone else and and give them the wisdom that you've got from your own your own deals that is such a great network networking tip it's usually one way for some people and i was smiling through your um, explanation there because i've been on some of those phone calls on both sides of the, that uh, story it's always it's always painful but all of that is going to be even more and more become part of your uh, your story as you go ahead and uh, keep storytelling going it uh, it seems like um so sephora was good the um online it seems like you're working online here's what a lot of big brands they think online is about their website and their presence and their own brand um, and they've been slowly learning, you know, it's not just about what happens on our website. It's everything else that can happen when they're not on our website. How, how do you approach the, the whole social side? Any tips yeah, there? So, yeah, so we had originally been quite, our content is really trial and error. So we had originally like kind of public messages. So here's our content. You must love it and consume it. And I know they don't love that. <laughs> they love stories about us. That's great. But we're always looking at the data. What are the stories that they like looking at? So they like, they love our face. We never put our face up enough, but they love it. Anything that has us in. They love mm -hmm. stories about where we have overcome some kind of adversity as a small brand. But also one of the things that we had only started doing, which has been hugely successful for us is collaborating with, um, like-minded brands or influencers so for example a natural home for us has been collaborating with um influencers who talk about uh, who talk against fast fashion sustainable um fashion is a huge one for us and that audience loves sustainable beauty natural natural place we've done some stuff with people who are into like our lifestyle of our audience is very much around yoga so we did something with a yoga studio um and finding the conversation where there's a mutual benefit to both parties taking place is really good because the content's actually genuine for both audiences it's not artificial i mean we wouldn't necessarily do it with I don't know, like a protein bar or something, something that didn't resonate with our audience. So um, finding collaborations, but those collaborations can't be artificial. So some of our best collaborations have literally been done on goodwill for both sides. They're not paid. There's no money trade changing hands. Um, yep. It's not like I'll give you 500 pounds. Can you do this? Because that's just a promotion. It's just an advert. Um, but actually where there's a long dialogue between two brands kind of geeking over each other and then they come together to put something together for an audience it feels sincere. We're kind of in an age of sincerity. Um, and, you know, everyone's on their device now. So they've got time to really flush out who's kind of just doing it for a quick buck or who's doing it to really, at the end of the day, tag on a call to action and buy our products. We're literally doing it and being like, we don't care if you buy our products. Did you enjoy the story? What do you tell us more? Because we are constantly using the information we're getting from people to deliver products that they want or, or a problem that they want or help us articulate our brand better. So, for example, we have an eye serum who people started using as a as a lip plumper. I was really perplexed. I mean, we didn't come up with that, but everyone was like, oh, here's our here's a little giffy of us using it as a lip plumper. And I was like, OK, that's great. You're creating content using our stuff. Yeah. But it was, I probably, said, an, it was wow. probably an accident at first. And then it turned like, into yeah, for sure. You know. But it's and then people we put a we put a big thing out. What should our next product be? And they come back with loads and loads of different things. We didn't realize the people. I mean, we don't do hair care. But what was our biggest request? We want transparent hair care. We're really our hair hair is poor. Water quality is rubbish in you know in cities. We've all got thinning hair. We're obsessed with our hair. And I was like, wow, you know, like like um that was a good one. Um and then another one was like, you know, we can find out 
you know, all the metrics to do with the lifestyle. So obviously, like through the back end of Facebook and Instagram, you've got tons and tons of audiences you can build. But it's easier just to go out to your audience and say, what do you do at the weekend? And we found out that tons of them all do like Pilates or yoga. Like I would say 12% of our audience regularly practice Pilates or yoga. And that's just a really interesting insight for us when we then did our next collaboration. So we just constantly ask them all the time. Um, and we're small enough to be able to get them. Yeah, sure. You can, you can, you can jump in and adapt. And even your uh, granola bar thing isn't isn't that far off. Because what we've seen with the Revive uh, Beauty Index data, where we're tracking, you know, hundreds of thousands of consumers around the world, the what's going inside your body versus on your face are kind of coming together. So there's people that are coming at it from a health point of view, and they get to your type of uh, genre of products, and vice versa. They're coming in from, you know, I care more about this and what else would be good for me to kind of switch out in my food, the food side of um, our um, our household? And what we've seen uh, over the, you know, just let's call it 2020, is a spike in that. Just massive spikes in online data we already covered. But what they're actually doing is interesting as well. So the Review Beauty Index, it's been up anywhere from 3 to 400% depending on the search. And the things are topics like, you know, obviously just taking a selfie, that's gone up accepting recommendations, accepting the diagnostics, going into the shopping cart, um, way up. And the other thing we've noticed, you just pointed out, uh, and these are with our retail partners and, and, re and you know, big brands and indie brands. We've been pointing out that just because it's not just about a funnel and getting them down into e-commerce, it's whatever you want to do to engage the consumer. So during a time when consumers have had more more time on their hands, quite frankly, there has been more of an educational, social sharing of stories side to it that doesn't necessarily lead to um, shopping cart monetization. Yeah. And that has been that has been very revealing for some. And then for others, it's like, well, we need to figure out how to keep top of mind because during this time as well, one of the things we measured was the amount of consumers, especially in the states, that have been open to new brands, this is measured data, and then switch to a new brand that they maybe never heard of, could have been yours, for instance, because they are more indie brands than the traditional ones, for various reasons. Though their core brand was out of stock, or they just discovered you because it was an interesting time to discover. And then the last stat, which probably is good for you, is um, I think about 256% of those people said they were going to continue to use that new brand they found, especially when retail opens up again. They're going to be looking for those, those new kind of brands. So a lot has happened. A lot of a lot of the media coverage is just about, hey, we've jumped ten years ahead in terms of digital penetration, uh, at least in the states. You know, China has always been way ahead of us. Forty percent of their commerce has come from online, and where ours has been in the teens, now it's jumping. But the real story is, what are they doing? So I think that's good for a lot of your um, compatriots, and I guess you'd call them competitors. But you're really, I don't think you're really competing with each other. No, I think that's right. I think the, the market share is growing and actually the dilution is coming from some of the multinationals. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So how do they, um, how do they find you? I mean, my guess is some of the people that have discovered new products through whatever personalization engines or, or just uh, social sites of, you know, have switched to brands. Have you seen much of that? Um, just in terms of our, the retailers that are coming to us, no, just to consumers that may be just oh, buying direct. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I, I think that, um, I think that our, like, I mean, Instagram has been massive for us. I think there were people that were already interested in us that were our 
fans. The collaborations brought a, a, a bigger audience to us. Yep. Um, we had done a number of things when uh, good old Wi-Fi let it cut out there. And she may not be coming back. We'll give her one more second, everybody. Hold on. It's a little tough these days. All right. So we want to thank Sarah for oh, coming hello. on the... Uh, there she is. You back? Sorry about that. No, it's okay. Yeah, so they're finding you. These brands yeah, are, are, I mean, people are finding all these new brands that they have discovered during this great lockdown, which has been a fascinating time for, you know, indie brands like you. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, it was, it's not just the collaborations. I think we did a lot of things where we stopped selling in April. Conversely, it was also one of our best months with no marketing. We did, we switched our production, our, we had budget for event events that we had to cancel and we switched that to to make free hand sanitizer. We wrote the cost off and we did it with a gin distillery um, and we just gave it to our local community for free um, and we gave it to our customers for free. Um, and that was just from our own pocket, our own business. You know, it was money we were, you know, we had, hadn't ended up spending. Um, and people remember that, you know, we were very quick to, to, to do that and ask for nothing in return. And I think that, you know, brands that are kind, brands that are community focused, are brands that people are going to remember when they're through this. And so people who, who did have some income to spend were happy to support brands that looked like they had a mission beyond just surviving financially. Yeah. It's clear that they had an investment in their local lo local community. So we had a lot of, we did something in South London, which is where our company is based. Um, and we got a spike in orders. We can see it in the data from people in South London because they were finding us from a very localized initiative based in the community. So um, that was good for us, but it wasn't our intention. It wasn't, you know, we didn't do it to make people no, buy. No, of course, you're just it. helping out. Let's yeah. um, let, let's uh, touch out on um, technology. So what we're seeing in both e-commerce providers and retailers is a rush to offer more personalized skincare analysis, makeup try-on, uh, the Revive products have been, the demand has gone up during this time for two reasons. One, uh, large corporations are accelerating their e-commerce strategy, so they need more engagement tools on a variety of areas. Yeah. And in-store, in, in they when they are getting ready to open, they're saying, we don't want to use our own technology anymore, meaning our screens or our mirrors, yeah. everything, everything we've been predicting, it's going to, it's your handheld, it's you bring your own device, you use your own device, and use that as a tool, both in-store and online. What are your, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, this is absolutely massive for us, actually, not just for online, but also in retail. Um, you know, it was already on our roadmap to look at how can we have these kind of more personalized consultations with people. So technology offers that um, without needing a real, an actual person dealing with it. For someone like us, we can actually implement that very quickly and speedily because it deals with a lot of our customers kind of basic questions about, you know, what is my skin? What could be good for my skin? And actually in a post-COVID world, I think we absolutely need to be advancing and accelerating that technology for all brands in retail because we're not going to be touching each other um, right. with product anytime soon and we had all of this investment in events so for example we had a week-long demo week with one of our retailers a huge expense thousands and thousands of pounds um to 
to to actually tell customers something that they could find out in their own home using an app or or very quickly using technology in a store they don't necessarily always need a 20 minute consultation no um, exactly and what we're seeing in some stores is um, it's going to be self-service you just click on it on your phone you do it yourself because they haven't brought the beauty technicians back others that are planning on bringing the beauty uh, reps back into the store they will use that as a way to have a discussion with the con consumer while yeah. he or she's he or she's actually doing it on her phone but they can still give yeah. them some quick advice without all of the touching and things so we're we're seeing that roll out more aggressively than it did um since Christmas, I mean, because of the because of what's happened around the world, it's it's totally changed the behavior. And you know, eventually things will loosen up. But we think bring your own devices is here to stay. You know, online and in store and and like absolutely. you said, actually any actually anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it, even pre-COVID, we had this was on our roadmap. This is yep. the future of where beauty needs to be. It's efficient. It's obvious. You can collect the data. You can save. You know, profiles for customers. They can come back. It's it's. It's exactly. so completely where we want to be um, and where we are going to be, um, I think, in the next six months. Well, that's great, Zaref. Listen, we really want to thank you for uh, having you on the program. Um, any um, parting thoughts, words, to, words of wisdom, as we like to say? No, other than that, I think that um, for all brands, beauty or not, how mm -hmm. we treat our people and the, the community at large and each other is going to define who is successful in the future now we're beyond it's it's not just about commerce it's about community um at every touch point and we need to be creating good business for everybody um for society yeah yeah we look forward to watching you and uh, seeing you scale and um after you go through the uh Sephora Acceler 2020 accelerator program we uh, would love to hear how that went and uh, maybe have you back on great thank you right good to see you cheers Cheers.